This is ESPN Crick Info. Bowl at Boys. Hello everyone and welcome to a brand new episode of Bowl at Boys here on ESPN Crick Info. A lot of matches going on, test matches, one day internationals and we have with us Jeffrey Boycott to talk about all that. How are you sir? I'm very well, looking forward to the one day series in England versus New Zealand. We have a, a new sort of look inside with no Broad and no Anderson and uh, hopefully one or two new faces and more than hopefully I think we should be looking forward to the 217 tournament in England which is the Champions Trophy and then in four years time 219 is the World Cup in England so I think we should be picking people for our one day squads from now on who are going to be available and at their best in 217 and 219. Let's start with the questions then. The first one was sent by Stephen Hemmings from the United States. The question is, what do you think about the manner in which Shiv Chandrapal was dropped by the West Indies Cricket Board in the lead-up to the West Indies-Australia series? He has been a rock for the West Indies batting lineup, and a few lean innings and he's gone without a send-off. What do you think, Jeffrey? Well, I'm curious that he uses manner. Uh, I don't think anything was nasty said about him. We all love Shiv. He's been a terrific cricketer for West Indies. But you have to realize, as much as we love cricket, have emotion and passion, and, and it, it's a way of life to some people, like me, it is a results-orientated business. Uh, he hasn't been producing runs for quite a few innings, and I've seen him recently play against England, three test matches, and he looked in very poor form. And at 40, you, you have to be scoring... Otherwise, selectors and ex-players like me and anybody who knows cricket look at him and think, well, has he lost it? Has he just got too old? And it is a fact. It happens to all of us. Uh, we want to continue, all of us. We'd like to play forever. But sadly, it, it can go on forever. None of us are like Peter Pan. We just aren't. And when selectors watch a guy... They, they think, well, mm, 40, has he lost it? We need to move forward with youth. And that is the thing. West Indies are trying to build a new team. Why is that? Because they have some very good West Indian players who earn so much money in the IPL, and they top it up with playing other 2020 around the world. There's a West Indies tournament coming soon. There's a tournament in South Africa, 2020. There's one in Australia, and there's one in England now. Chris Gale's play. Those players who earn a lot of money in IPL, they aren't really interested in playing for their country in test matches in one day because they think the money is not as good as they can get playing 2020. Uh, whether that's right or wrong, it doesn't matter. That's their view. And as individuals, they're entitled to do whatever they wish with their careers, their lives. So wisely... The West Indies selectors under Clive Lloyd are choosing youngsters who want to play for West Indies and are not going to just disappear at the drop of a hat to play a 2020 for, for, for more money. And I think you can't blame them for that. Shiv Chandapur playing well, and that's the operative word, playing well at 40 years of age could help younger players with his experience, but Shiv isn't playing well. That's the, that's the point. 
He's playing so poorly, nobody can keep picking him on his past performances or with sentiment. When you have done well in the past, you get some slack or some leeway or an extended run in the team which a newcomer won't get because you've done it before. Everybody knows you've done it well. But eventually, if you don't score runs, the axe will fall. If you don't or can't make runs, they have to move on. They just can't be people on sentiment. It's life. Just try and remember the good things he did for West Indies. Don't get beat up about the fact that he's gone. All right, just one small question. I think Brian Lara had said that Chandra Paul had deserved a farewell series or had earned it, actually. Do you agree with that? No, I don't agree. No, it's wrong. There's no, look, sentiment doesn't come into it. You, you can be... You can be helpful and give people a little extended run. But the fact is, we have to perform. If I'm paid as a batsman to make runs, I have to make runs. If I'm paid as a bowler to take wickets, you can't keep saying you're unlucky. You have to get wickets. That's the name of the game. That's not being nasty. It's being honest, frank, upfront, And he's not doing it. I'm... I don't, I don't think you can blame the selectors. You have you're no right to expect a farewell to it. What the hell is that? All right. Next question was sent by Hush from Canada. Pretty long one on England, of course. And he says, So we saw once again England drew a series after winning the first match as they did the same in West Indies. Why are England letting the opposition come back in the series and beat them comprehensively? Are they struggling to keep their performances consistent? This is not a good sign for the Ashes because if they lose the first test, this would make it their sixth loss in a row against Australia. I also wanted to know what you thought of Cook's captaincy in the second test. New Zealand were scoring at almost 5 per over during the whole match, but Cook just sat back and did not really do anything or was just waiting for things to happen. Can we blame him as he's the captain or did New Zealand just bat really well? Wouldn't Joe Root be a better captain as he is young? and Cook can just focus on his batting, although the ECB would never do that before the Ashes. Lots of questions in that one. What do you think, Jeffrey? He's the rever. He's a smart cookie, this lad. <laughs> um, look, England only won in Grenada, let's be honest, because of an inspired spell from James Anderson with the new ball on the last morning. England was struggling to get them out, just like they were in Antigua. There was a slow, low, nothingness pitches that turned. But they turned so slowly, you really had to buy your wickets a bit, winkle people out. You weren't going to get people out cheaply. And Jimmy, as we know, is a class act with a new ball. If he gets a new ball in his hand and it happens to swing or do a bit off the seam, then you've got a problem. And it did. And he bowled them out. Now, when it comes to New Zealand, it was always going to be difficult for the New Zealand team in the first test match at Lords, in my opinion, because some of them had just come from six weeks of IPL 2020 cricket, which is crash, bang, wallop, try and hit every ball for runs. When you're bowling, you can't afford to bowl consistent line and length as you do in test matches, because then the batsman in 2020 knows where the ball's arriving, and they whack you out of the park with the big bats and small boundaries, they whack you for boundaries. So you have to mix up your length and your line and your, your slower balls and all kinds of things. That's not a recipe, batting and bowling like that, for playing test match cricket. 
So I always felt that when some of them arrived just a couple of days before the test match at Lord's, then some of them would be out of sync with test cricket. And with bowlers and batsmen having to change the way they play, batting and bowling, yeah, I felt that one or two of them would find it quite easy to change. That happens. But others would find it difficult. Human nature being what it is, we're all different. Some can change quickly or adapt better than others. And that's what happened. One of their batsmen uh, uh, made a big hundred, didn't he? The young lad and, and one of their bowlers, uh, Trent Bolt, got wickets. He got the line of length. But people like Southie were all over the place. He bowled terrible at Lords. And he's a damn good bowler, he is. And I thought that by the second test match, they'll have settled down. They'll have had a, you know, five days at Lords, two or three days practice. And I thought they'd be more mentally attuned to what was required for test match cricket and therefore better at putting it into a practice. That's the key. If you're mentally ready, then you make better decisions when you're batting and bowling. And Southie did bowl really well. Like Trent Bolt carried on bowling well and Southie bowled well. And there were a lot more people played well. And it looked more like the New Zealand team together rather than at Lord's. It looked bitty. Some good, some not so good. Like even McCullum. He admitted to some of us, who he knows, that maybe he attacked too much with England and they scored too quickly. It's right to attack, but you have to know when to settle back and say, hey, this is getting out of hand, we've got to strangle them a bit, cut the run rate down, see what happens. And he acknowledged that. So he, thinking as a wonderful captain, he didn't get it right. And that's what happens when you play one form of cricket and then you change quickly to another. It can take a bit of time for some people. Now, England are not consistent and have some big problem areas to solve. That is partly why they aren't. They haven't had a second opener for a while, not a consistent quality opener to go with Cook. They haven't had a quality spinner for some time. They're filling in with Moynali, who's a batsman, who bowls a bit. And they haven't had a wicket-taking third seamer. And I stress wicket-taking. There are all kinds of bowlers who bowl, but they're not taking wickets. Now, I, I don't go with the flow of good or bad captaincy, depending on whether your team wins or loses. I know results are important, but if captains are judged solely or only on results, then Cook was great at Lords because we won, and bad at Heatherly because we lost. Sorry, that doesn't wash with me. You could say he was good in Grenada because we won with Jimmy Anderson's spell. And he was awful in Barbados where we lost badly. But he batted beautifully. Look, his batting is not a problem. I praise and admire his batting immensely. because, of, But it's as a tactical captain we're talking about. I'm not his supporter. For me, like the questioner said, when he's captaining, the game drifts. He only seems to have a plan A in his head when he's come out of the dressing room uh, before start to play, lunch or tea. He has a plan A. Puts it into practice. He does all right, fine. But if that doesn't work, he doesn't seem able to say, hey, stop, let's try plan B. And if that doesn't work, switch quickly to plan C. Because he doesn't have a plan B or C. You saw Broader headedly bouncing 9-10 jack, I ask you. 9-10 jack when he was getting whacked. He didn't change tactics. Well, that's silly, but what about the captain? 
the captain should have stopped him and said, hey, this isn't working, stop it. They've got 60-odd runs for the last two wickets, bowling short still. Now, people can get runs by just batting well. It happens occasionally with tail-enders. But not bouncing them, same thing all the time. It meant guys who can't bat just sat on the back foot with the bat sort of ready, knowing that the ball's going to be short towards their neck or shoulder or head, and they're going to have a thrash at it, just like a baseball hit batsman. They stood there just getting ready to hit. It was silly. And look, in my opinion, captains have to have a feel for the game, an awareness, an intuition, a feel about things. Uh, it's not something you learn in a book. Now, I can't write it down. It's a gift that you have this feel, these nuances of the game as the change. You can flow with it. You can change. You see it happening. Some guys have it. For me, Alistair hasn't got it. It's very sad, and I don't want to go on, but I've said it before, and I'll say it again. I've said it on radio and TV here in England. Alistair hates any criticism. Human nature, we all hate it, me included. And he hates us ex-players saying it. Shane Warne said it last year, that he was the worst captain he'd ever seen, and Sky told him he had to sort of make peace with him because Sky are in bed with the English cricket board for 80 million of, of television cricket. So Michael Vaughan says it, and he was a brilliant captain. It, it's not personal. I could go on about other people. Look, we don't dislike Alistair as a person. We love his batting. But it's just an observation that we have and a professional judgment. It's not personal because we don't like him or we've fallen out with him at all. He thinks it is. And when it comes to Joe Root, look, Strauss has given it to Cook and he's given the ODI captaincy to Morgan. So really, there's no room for any maneuverability. Even the new coach, Bayliss, Trevor Bayliss comes, all the three selectors we have, what can they do? Nothing. Strauss is director of cricket. He likes Cook, he battered with him. He likes Morgan, he played at Middlesex with him. You'll work it out. Same as he doesn't want KP, it's personal. There's nothing anybody can do. All right, pretty detailed answer. I'm sure Harsh will enjoy that. Two questions were sent by someone who's regular on our show, and it's Idris from the UAE. You spoke of New Zealand briefly, so let's take the question on the, on New Zealand. He says, Mr. Boycott, I would like to know your views on the brand of test cricket this current New Zealand team brings to the world stage. They have been criticized for being overly aggressive at some stage, but I personally feel that going for a win is the attitude that every team needs in tests. How much of a role does Brendan McCullum play to allow this free, aggressive expression of his players and where do you think this brand of cricket is going to take the game in the near future? Well, Ross Taylor was captain. I think it was in Sri Lanka. And uh, they dismissed Ross and made Brendan McCullum. It was quite a surprise to many people because he was wicketkeeper at the time. Uh, it was a messy public uh, situation where everybody seemed to know Taylor was going and he wasn't told. I don't know enough about that. But since uh, Brendan's given up the... Uh, wicket-keeping because of his back, bending up and down, it gets his back hurted. And his captaincy and his batting has blossomed. I mean, even as a batsman last year, he made a 300, two 200s, and I think he made 190. My God, I'd take them tomorrow. I'd give you four noughts. 
to get make scores like that. Brendan, it's everything to do with leadership. I'm a big believer on that. Look, he's a quietly confident guy. He, he's not bombastic. He's just quietly belief in himself and his way he wants to play. His team, you know, they don't sledge like the Australians. No, 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 no. They just compete hard. Isn't it refreshing? And have people clap the opposition when they do something special. But yet they compete bloody hard. They really do. Occasionally, he is over-aggressive, as I mentioned in one of my other questions, and he realized it. But most of the time, being positive works. And you'd like people to be more positive than the opposite. His team follow him. They take his lead and are playing better than ever. So let's give him full credit for it. Well done. We have to hope it will rub off on other teams and other players because it's wonderful for cricket watchers. And sadly, if we could get the overrate up, even New Zealand was sometimes poor at that, Tested cricket would be an even better spectacle because it would mean there'd be more wickets and more runs in a day because there would be more balls bowled. But well done New Zealand and Brendan McCullum. I'm a big fan of it. I'm surprised you didn't use the word smashing for him like you did on Twitter. Well, it's alright. Just another word, but I just like him. I <laughs> think he's a smashing bloke. I liked him before he was captain. And he's, he's like a number of people, if you go through cricket history, who, out of the blue, have been made captain, and they surprise you. Some people, like Michael Clark, was always a vice-captain in waiting to be captain. Fine, he's a wonderful captain. Practically wonderful. But there's other people, like Michael Vaughan was another. He wasn't vice-captain, Trescothic was. And suddenly, given the job, Blossom did well. Raymond Hill did the same. He wasn't captain at Yorkshire, went to Leicestershire, took over England, won the Ashes. History, Douglas Jardine is another. There are many people out there, not millions, but there are many people who, if they're given the opportunity, might surprise you and surprise themselves that they have the ability to lead others, to lead people. And that's what captaincy is. It's leading people. Indeed it is. And let's take the last question of this episode, also sent by Idris. The question is, Mr. Boycott, India are playing a series abroad with their new young captain in Virat Kohli, who also brings an aggressive mode of captaincy similar to the likes of Michael Clark and McCullum, so as it feels. India do not have a coach, but have a team director in Ravi Shastri, who has been praised for his work with the team. My question is, how much does a lack of coach affect a team's pre-match preparation, given the high-caliber support staff in Shastri and the advisory BCCI panel working with the team? Well, I'm glad Ravi is there and you don't have a coach, um, because personally, um, I like Ravi a lot think he's got a lot to offer. Very sound. He'll give the captain help rather than interfere. And personally, for me, the use of a coach is overemphasized. Manager is a better word, and this is what you're talking about with Ravi. It's like managing. At the top level, players shouldn't need coaching. Technically, whatever they do should be working well. That's why they are selected to play at the highest level. That's why they're selected to play for India or England. If anything, they need managing organizing. But for me, the captain is the man who leads the team, sets the tone on the field, sets the way the tactics and, and the team plays. 
He has to think on his feet on the field of play over long periods. And really, coach, manager, can't really help him. You can talk to him at lunchtime, tea time, after play, so forth, give him a couple of ideas. But you, you can't really influence play. The captain has to influence play more than anything. And that's why I say I'm not a big believer in coaches. Don't misunderstand me. I don't, some of them are good, but some of them act like a manager, but they've got a, the, the misterm is coach. And really, they are managing. And that's the right way to go. If you think of the best leaders, and I said best leaders, because anybody can be given stripes to be captain. Look, you're captain because you've got three stripes on. But really, it's about leading. Which of the guys that can lead players can either coax them, gain their confidence, boost their ego, or rule them with a strong personality, or be, or be great on tactics on the field? These are the people that get the players behind them, get them playing with them, because they have confidence in the leader, not just because he's got three stripes and somebody says, oh, you're in charge. Michael Clark, Brendan McCullen, they're excellent captains. We've had people before. Look at Arjuna Ranatunga of Sri Lanka. It's a call in the little general. He wasn't the best player. He was a good player. But they had other people who were fantastic. But he just had it. Michael Vaughan, I mentioned. Mark Taylor is another quiet way, but could do it. Clive Lloyd, how he handled those West Indians and pulled them together when there were always inter-island rivalry. Mike Brearley wasn't a great batsman, but somehow could get the best out of the others. Then you could go on forever with the Imran Khans, Richie Benno, Ian Chappell, Ray Illingworth. So Virat Kohli, coming back to him, he has to find a way, and his way, to get the players behind him. In other words, do it his way. His runs will help, definitely, but runs alone won't be enough. He follows a fantastic personality in MS Dhoni, a truly great leader of men. So, you know, he's going to be compared to him. And he has to, in my opinion, he's a bit of advice, he needs passion and emotion, he has that. But he's got to try not to let that passion and emotion boil over. He's got to harness it, so he's got a cool head and a racing heart. Very important to harness him, and I wish him well. All right, that brings us to the end of this episode of Polet Boyks. Two weeks and Jeffrey Workout will join us again. Lots of cricket happening till then. Enjoy all of that. And of course, don't forget to send in your questions, your feedback or your suggestions to make the show better, of course. Till then, goodbye and good luck. You are listening to ESPN Crick Info.